0: you'll do this morning as we gather together on this, um, really, this solemn time uh, for the church and certainly for us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we hope that all of you come, uh, who have come this morning will have a sense of what it is that motivates Christians to love and to serve Christ. You may have noticed that uh, the background is a garden. Our thoughts today are going to be scattered around scenes from the garden, and uh, the garden is illustrated four times in all of the gospel writers. So we've taken snippets from each of those writers to share and to um, provide meditative fodder for us. And I'd like to read one of them before we uh, begin worshiping the Lord and participating together. And it's from Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he came a third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand.
1: Matthew 26, 36 and 37 says, Then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the sons of Debbie, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh, Jesus had just left his last meal with his friends. Uh, And things were in motion now. He had had words with Judas, just simple words, just a basic interaction, but he knew when Judas got up and left what he was going to do. His betrayer, a friend before him, had walked out. And then he had talked to Peter, one of the guys who was with him, one of his closest friends, one of the three he had called away from the other disciples to keep watch with him as he prayed in this garden called Gethsemane. And he had talked to Peter about how he would betray him. And Peter had said, Not a chance. And Jesus knew one of his best friends would turn his back. He was full of sorrow. And it was just beginning. I mean, the Old Testament had talked about the fact that Jesus was a man who would be associated and acquainted with with sorrow and grief. and, And he knew those Old Testament writings. Isaiah, he would have known Isaiah by heart, and perhaps he was walking through in this garden of contemplation for what was about to come. The words of Isaiah... Chapter 53 just highlight different lines that perhaps were in his mind troubling him as he anticipated what was to come. He was despised and rejected by men. Another line perhaps, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. The weight was beginning to fall on him. He was pierced, For our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And Jesus sat in the garden, sorrowful and filled with troubles. In his mind, perhaps Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and afflicted. He was led to a lamb-like slaughter, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through, though the Lord makes his li- and, th- and the, lo- the Lord made his life like a guilt offering. After the suffering of his soul, he poured out his life to death. He bore the sins of many. And as Jesus sat praying and thinking, he was sorrowful and greatly troubled. And for good reason.
2: Continuing the garden. Matthew 26:39 says, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus is in the garden. His three closest friends we've just heard, Peter, James, and John, are just a stone's throw away, supposed to be keeping watch with him. We have just learned that his soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. And now we find him with his face to the ground, pleading with the Father. If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. This is an incredible moment in the life of our Lord. Until this point, he has walked faithfully all of his days. He has been defined by purpose, intentionality, decisiveness. He knows who he is and what he is here to do. And this is a crucial moment because here we see, possibly more than ever before in his life, we see the humanity of Jesus. And I believe there's something that has crept into our understanding of Jesus uh, that I think we need to correct a bit. I think what has happened is that we know Jesus to be the Son of God. We know him to be God incarnate, step down from eternity into time, and I think what has crept into our understanding of Jesus, to how we think of him, is the idea that he this life was not hard for him. That he may have been cheating on the test. Okay? This is God. Life is not hard. This is a breeze. Okay? It's like Mozart sitting in the kindergarten music class. right? Einstein on your grade 8 physics final. Uh, it's not hard for these guys. So in a way, we cannot relate with them because they are so far beyond us that the, the disconnect is, is just too big. It is, a very, it is very dangerous for us to understand Jesus Jesus in this way for without his humanity it becomes impossible to relate to him to identify with him and especially to love him i want to be very clear on this point jesus was not cheating on the test if he was then this scene in the garden that we're talking about it makes no sense why why is he so upset if he's faking, or if he's acting, if he's God, then what's the problem? He's on autopilot, he's on cruise control, then he shouldn't be so troubled. He shouldn't be praying to God, take this away from me if there's any way. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2, 14, 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He too shared in their humanity. He is on his face in the dirt, sweating drops of blood at the thought of going through the crucifixion. Make no mistake, he is fully human. He is definitely more, but he is absolutely nothing less. And at this moment, his entire life stands on the edge of a blade. For if he falters here, all of creation will be lost forever. His prayer reveals a temptation almost, doesn't it? Father, if there is any way this cup can be taken from me, then take it. Jesus may have been tempted at this moment to walk away, to not go through with his purpose, with why he came. I believe he's standing here at a crossroads. I know what I'm about to go through and I know I must but if there's any other way and this is at this moment I see a quality in this man that I absolutely love his ability to submit to the father okay he he prays if it's possible let this cup be taken from me but what does he say in the same breath not my will but your will be done he submits his plans his ideas And he obediently follows the Father, knowing full well what he is about to endure. This submission before the Father staggers me and it makes me wonder how many times I plan things in my mind. I just walk straight through and do what I have set in my mind to do without so much as even checking in with God to see if he's even on board with this thing. And my prayer is that we would recognize the obedient submission of Jesus to the Father and in our own lives we would lay down our own wills to him as well. For truly man sets his plans in his heart but it is God who directs his steps. And May we pray your kingdom come and Lord your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray that. Father, as we are focusing our thoughts on the time that Jesus spent in the garden Jesus, I want to thank you for your submission to the Father's will. I want to thank you that you have fully taking on humanity so that you can be identified with us in every way but sin. And Lord, without that, we, we have no hope. We have no rescuer that we can make sense of. Uh, but it is because you have come to reveal to us what you're like, that you have walked in our footsteps, Lord, that we can be united to you. And I pray that prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for your submission, Jesus. Thank you that you willingly went to the cross for us in our place, taking upon yourself our sins and our transgressions, that we may have life and freedom and healing in your name. I praise you, Lord, and I thank you. May we continue to worship you this morning, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.
3: Faith is a mysterious thing as we are called to follow Jesus Christ. And through that following and that trust to emulate the things that he calls us to do in trusting him. And at times we find ourselves reflecting situations that Christ has gone through. Good Friday is the day that often reveals for us the travails of the soul, the challenges that Christ faces. And at times we find ourselves in our own travails, in our own challenges. And and we've been looking at the four different scenes through the garden. We've looked at the sorrowful and troubled Jesus. We've looked at him prayerfully submitting to the Father's will. And now we want to look at how he was strengthened to suffer or how he was strengthened to face the challenges that he faces. And in the the testimony and in the life of Jesus, we too find our own strength to face challenges. The Bible records it this way in Luke 22, verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. There's an old philosopher... Huey Lewis, who once said, life is a struggle. And yes, there is a challenge for relationships in in how they communicate with one another. And so we too in our life face challenges. And clear communication in faith in God is sometimes as well a struggle. Jesus began his ministry here on earth with an invitation An invitation for us to come and to experience thy kingdom come. God here with us. Repent, Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is near. An old Sunday school song that many of us sang as we grew up was trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Sometimes that sentiment is hard to follow. Then, as Jesus is describing those who would follow him, he describes for us a path of life that seems a little bit unattractive. And when we come to the realization that in our trusting and in obedience, we get to those areas where we need to hold on and say, yes, God, I'm holding on to you. In spite of the situation, it is then that we explore the majesty of God. Jesus writes, or Jesus says rather, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is such an inverted picture of successfulness. And yet, when Jesus describes that the first become last, the last first, the marginalized become embraced, those who are condemned become welcomed, honored, and cherished, he's revealing to us that while we may face challenges, we find strength in him. Challenges have a way of stirring up our inner being They have a way of sometimes trapping us into thinking, if only, if only I had more money, if only a relationship was successful, if only the situation would change, if only the perfect job would come along, if only it was sunny, if only my health would hold. And always in the if only's our eyes come off of Christ. How then do we live by faith so as to be strengthened in faith? James reminds us, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Ultimately, there are two great challenges that we all face. The first is this temptation. But again, we're reminded, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And the final temptation that we face is the fear of death. And yet again in Corinthians we read, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? When facing these ultimate challenges, Jesus instructs and he gives us a perspective on what it means to be swallowed up If in the if-onlys. In Matthew, he says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And also in Matthew, we read, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, and where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then Christ entered that night in the garden. And all that he had been teaching, all that he had been, that been illustrating, now became his life song. Father, he said, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Never once did Jesus become captured in the if only. Rather, he was embraced with the with you Jesus willingly accepted this cup of challenge. So my question is, what cup are you drinking from? The ancient Greeks allowed us to to glimpse into the cup of Socrates, poisoned hemlock, false, false security in worldly wisdom. Jesus, he took our sins, the sins of the whole world, So that we, feeling overwhelmed, feeling a need for life, feeling a need for forgiveness, could come and simply ask, repent, accept, and be free. So I ask you, will you throw out the dregs of your own creation and accept the gift of life as the Bible says, streams of living water? Where are you finding your hope and your strength today? In a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will be strengthened to face the challenges that will come. Jesus promises, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That where I am, you may be also. That night, Jesus trusted. Your will be done. Will you?
0: So we have one more scene from the garden. At the beginning of the world, there was an hour. There was a conflict. Seems like it wasn't much of a conflict. For when it ended, darkness had descended upon all of mankind. A power had been unleashed. But there was coming another hour, another conflict, when the dark power would face a more formidable foe. That hour was summarized this way in the garden. He shall bruise your head and you will strike his heel. The disobedience of Adam in the first garden brought ruin to mankind. The obedience of the last man, or Adam, in this garden of Gethsemane would be essential for our salvation. At some time in prayer in the garden on the Mount of Olives, Jesus was confronted by a number of authorities and police who came to him and were going to arrest him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs and as against a robber or an insurrectionist? While I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. If I was such a threat, if I was such a danger, if I was such a rival to Caesar, why didn't you arrest me on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday. Or even Thursday. Have you come out with swords and clubs as though I was some sort of revolutionary? Why now? Here's the answer This is your hour, Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers and the temple elders, and the power of darkness. This was their time, but Jesus also made it very, very clear that the inspiration behind their actions was the authority and the dominion and the power of darkness. You've got to serve somebody. Moffat translates the phrase this way, This is your hour, and the dark power has its way. What a dark hour it was. Here's a couple of reasons why. First, it matters that we understand that it was a predetermined hour. The Son of Man will go away as as has been determined. As Luke reminds us, the events around the, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus were predetermined events by God before the foundation of the world. Not only that, Matthew reminds us that the events took place to fulfill prophecy. They took place so that Scripture might be fulfilled. One author has put it so well, God has arranged all of the preceding centuries, all of the intervolutions of time, all the events from Genesis 1-1 up to this moment, has arranged and molded them, has had them converge in such a way that there would be a place for this hour the hour in which the sun will be bound. He allowed neither the forces above nor the forces below to tamper with the clock of history. He directed the battles of Caesars, the conflicts of kings, the migrations of peoples, the world wars, the courses of the stars and sun and moon, the change of the epochs and the complex movements of all things in the world in such a way that this hour would come and had to come. Even Jesus, as he was in the garden, was recorded as being understanding that knowing that this hour had to come. And so this hour that Jesus was facing was a predetermined hour, and it was a prophesied hour. It was an hour reserved by God for Satan. This was his hour to do his worst. The first Adam had been easy prey. How would this Adam fare? But it was also Christ's hour The hour appointed for his sacrifice. As Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's the same event, the same hour, viewed only from a different angle. Read through the Gospel of John and you will quickly see that Jesus was aware that there was a specific hour coming in his life. So they were seeking to arrest him, John writes. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It was clear that Jesus was protected until that hour, but Jesus knew it had to come. And in fact, he knew it. It had arrived when he prayed to the father only moments before going out into the garden. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then shortly after we read that the band of shoulders arrested Jesus and bound him. It was the hour Of our Lord's sacrifice. Loved ones, the hour of darkness during which the dark power had its way was ordained by God. It was also the hour of sacrifice when God would defeat Satan and death. One wrote, the struggle in Gethsemane had been fierce. Soon the struggle would be fiercer still. That old serpent called the devil and Satan had uncoiled and had barred his fangs, poised to strike again and again with all the venom of which he was capable. Trampling on serpents is a most painful experience, especially for the heel. But, as Matthew Henry says, the hour and the power of darkness were short, and such the triumphs Of the wicked will
3: always be. It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming.